Warning, the following podcast contains descriptions of violence against human beings and may contain descriptions of sexual violence. This podcast is not suitable for children under the age of 13. Listener discretion is advised. You guys, you need to give us more donations. <laughs> this, is, this is the part where we beg for money, we ask you to subscribe, but you want to know why? I'm recording in a car. I'm in the back of a truck recording this in 30 degree weather. <laughs> Granted, it's a very nice Ford with, you know, a ton of legroom, but still, I'm in the yes. car. and I'm going to tell you right now that if you call it a car one more time, Mike will wring your neck. It's a truck. Sorry. I'm in a <laughs> sedan. <laughs> <laughs> no, my, my father-in-law does genuinely call He has a, one of those Cadillacs that's an expedition, um, and he calls it a truck. Is that a thing? My dad calls our Suburban a truck. Why? That's not a thing. It's not yeah. a truck. It's an old man by thing. That, by that definition... My Subaru, which is an Outback, is a WRX. <laughs> Do you want to turn off the lights so people the can't see us? Off-road circles, they legit call it that because they're truck-based vehicles. Like, Jeepers legitimately call them. It has four truck. wheels and it goes off-road. My car is a truck by that definition. I'm just saying. It's true. All right. What do Margaret Thatcher and Fidel Castro have in common? I have no idea. They both have over 100 assassination attempts on them. Seriously? Seriously. Also, Margaret, Margaret Thatcher, Thatcher did? Margaret Thatcher went on to be in office for 63 years with 100 what? assassination attempts on her. But I will tell you right now, she ain't got nothing on Fidel Castro. He had, I'll tell you later on in the episode. Okay. So. <laughs> Great. So our story today um, involves astronauts, explosives, airplanes, the CIA, sex, drugs, um, Rock and roll. Sugar cane and yeah, I think no. Oh, and textiles. Um, Wait, so, so are we talking about the moon landing? No, we're talking about RC <laughs> Willie. <laughs> All right, so <coughs> we're gonna start out with the lovely gentleman. This gentleman's name was um, um, Fulgenso Batista. <laughs> Batista. Otherwise known as Fulgencio Batista. So <laughs> we're just going to call him Batty because I think that's the most derogatory okay. name I could think of for him. It was either that or Fogey, but you know, we'll call him Fergie. I like that. Fergie. We're going to call him Fergie. Okay. So Fulgencio Batista was a dictator and that's pretty much the simplest way to describe this guy. Sadistic dictator. But, and where did he reign? He reigned in Cuba, but it goes way further back than that. So, real quick, when we think of good old America, we try to think about, um, you know, freedom of capitalism, right? Making right. money and, and spreading democratic joy across the entirety of the globe or wherever oil is. Right. So, the problem that we run into is that we keep backing dictators while saying we're getting rid of dictators. <laughs> so Does true. anybody else see a problem here? Mm -hmm. Oh good, it's not just me. So, Fulgencio Baptista was an American-backed dictator. He put the d in dictator and oh. dabs air horns. Um, so, <laughs> 1940, he is elected president. But his real history starts before that. Okay. So it's 1933. We're in Cuba. There's something called the Revolt of Sergeants. Now, I don't want to go way too bad, too far back, because, I mean, we, we're way past the 40s here. But essentially, he overthrew the reigning power at the time um, and declared himself the leader of the military. He was part of a tribunal. Oh, it's not technically a tribunal. It would be a pentatarch. 
Um, like it's a group of five that okay. essentially make the rules. The concept there is it's an uneven number. It's similar to court judges. Okay. So it was a good idea. The problem was that the other four were all puppets for him. So whatever Fulgencio wanted, Fulgencio got. Gotcha. So in 1940, he establishes this group of five. Um, the group of five is really his people. And he also writes a constitution. Now, there's a benefit to this in that it's a really good way to consolidate power if you're power hungry. You write a constitution that seems like it's for the people but has some underlying structural issues. Um, interestingly enough, that's not what he did. Okay. It was actually a decent constitution that okay. gave civil liberties. And it wasn't, you know, anything crazy, but it was a pretty big move for somebody who's essentially consolidated the entire military under himself. Right. Now, I told you earlier he was CIA or U.S. backed. Right. The actual revolution, it's iffy if it was completely backed by the CIA. But the CIA had a bad habit starting in the early 30s of backing warlords as long as they were willing to back the U.S. Um, and Cuba was no different and would continue to not be any different. So. Right. I couldn't find any concrete evidence that his revolution was backed by U.S. government funds, but it's essentially guessed Plus that it one. was because the U.S. really liked this guy. They liked him for one reason, and that's because Joe McCarthy's a dickhead. Um, Joe McCarthy is the author of McCarthyism. He's also the author of The Red Scare. <clears throat> yeah. He's the one who made everybody afraid of Russians and afraid of communism. He essentially created the whole concept that if one country fell to communism, others would. He essentially has the blood of Vietnam, Afghanistan, and everybody else we've trained on his hands, in my personal opinion. Because when you create an ideology that causes literal global conflict, you should be held accountable. Thanks, Joe McCarthy. Really appreciate your work. Great. Super grateful for it. But anyway... We get to 1940. He writes this constitution. It's called the 1940 Constitution. Nice and easy to remember. So 1940 comes along. He's elected president. I don't know how accurate that was because he was already essentially in power right. during the other time. Election in parentheses. In parentheses. <clears throat> so between 1933 and 1940, he's got this council. In 1940, he's elected president. 1940, he writes this constitution. And then in 1944, having served his term, because once again, American backing, four-year terms, he moves to Florida. So in 1952, he moved back to Cuba and he moved back to Cuba to run for president again. Now, I don't know how all of this works, but I can tell you that because of term limitations, I think he actually could, if it's U.S. law similar, he could run for a second term, right? He's only right. gone four years. He gets defeated royally, like just thrashed in the polls. We're talking Ron Paul destroyed. Ooh. Just like, no one wants you. Why are you here? Yeah. Go away. So... You know, looking in the face of adversity and doing what any person of real integrity would do, he overthrows the government. Um, and he overthrows the entire government, you guys. <laughs> this whole thing he quote-unquote built up, he's like, yeah, F that, I want to be in charge again. So in 1952, he overthrows the entire government, suspends the 1940 Constitution that he wrote, or at least took part in writing, and then removes the right to strike, specifically, oh. among other... Um, civil liberties that oh he got gosh. rid of. So this Batista guy, by the way, once again, backed by the U.S. and the CIA, is just doing some real great things for democracy. <laughs> and, you know, I do wonder, as we've told all these stories about the different things that the U.S. has just blindly done, how many times there was at least one guy going, oh, I did this. I, mm -hmm. I signed off on this. But then I remember it was Dulles, and there's no way he did that because he was a freaking <laughs> sociopath. But anyway, um, so... <laughs> they, he has total control of Cuba, right? Uh -huh. And so he's like, 
cutting down on civil liberties, cracking down on all of these different things. But this is when America becomes involved. So up to this point, this is a pretty Cuban affair, right? We've been trying to keep this guy in power-ish because he's not a communist. Um, and that's all we care about. Yeah, yeah, you can murk whoever you want, but you're not a communist. Woohoo, we're right. good. Um, he starts aligning with the wealthiest members of the country. Um, the largest sugarcane crops, not sugarcane, but sugar crops. Um, the larger companies in the country. And he starts getting real cozy with American companies that are international that are based in in the U.S. but are in Cuba. Okay. And while he's doing that, he's making huge kickbacks off these. So in essence, he that you come to Cuba, you can run your company without all these overhead taxes that the U.S. government requires, but we just want a small kickback, much less than you're paying in taxes. That's a pretty big incentive. It's kind of like moving your money to offshore accounts to avoid taxation. Mm-hmm. So he's making money off the backs of American companies, but he's not a communist. So that's okay. This is capitalism. This is a prime example of capitalism, right? Like this is just us living the American dream. Sure. He's a psychopath. that's removed the ability of people to strike, but I'm sure he's a great guy. So now he's cozying up with the mafia, you know, because the natural next step, let's cozy up with the mafia. Of course. And they control prostitution. They control drugs um, and they control gambling inside of Havana. I want you guys to be aware of something. This is not the only time the mafia will come into play in this equation. Oh, and it no. is not the only time that the and it and in the other instance of this, the mafia is going to be on the other side of the equation. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, okay. so what he's doing with the mafia is pretty it's a pretty simple rundown. When the government wants to make money illegally, they call it taxes. No wait. Um they <laughs> So when a governing body wants to make money illegally, the best way to do it is through skimming. It's actually how a lot of the illegal casinos popped up in Vegas. So you have mobsters that are running the casino, right? The mobster owns the casino. And what they do is they take the money off the top before they show the tax values for it. Now, the difference here is that it's just a payoff. The mafia can continue to run prostitution rings. They can continue to run drugs. They can continue to run gambling operations, legal or illegal, in Havana, as long as they pay the government. And the tax is probably fairly steep, but it lets them stay in business doing illegal things. Right. So Havana becomes not necessarily like a I don't know a hive of scum and villainy, but a kind of just a like a, a place where it's safe for gambling and safe for these things to happen because an American-backed dictator is making it that way. We all with on the same page so far here. Yeah. All right. So all this crap goes down. He's starting to make a ton of money off of U.S. companies, off the mafia, off of drugs, off of all this illicit stuff. And once again, the U.S. is like, yeah, he's a great guy. He's got a big hat. We like him. Um, Of course. And that's when when the fit hits the sham. Um, So the protesting starts increasing. Um, if you live in the, the third, protesting in the U.S. or no in in Cuba, okay, the U.S. couldn't care less. We're getting money kickbacks. Yeah, there, there are fat cats with cigars chilling because right. Cuba's working. Um, I'm going to add my my little soapbox moment right here. If you're in a third world country or or a first world country for that matter, where your government is oppressive, the best thing you can do is stand up to them, right? Because the only thing that somebody with infinite power fears is a weak man standing up, and it only takes one person to do that, right? So. If you have the opportunity to do it, please make that happen. Hong Kong, revolution of our times. Um, <laughs> plug, plug, plug. Plug, 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 <laughs> plug, plug, plug. The protests start increasing, and this was really telling to me, and I found it interesting it was super far down the line. So you know how I keep mentioning that the U.S. just really kind of likes Batista, despite all this terrible stuff he's doing and how we just fought a war to kill a guy who was doing a bunch of bad stuff? Right. 
He had a bureau, you guys. His secret police isn't called the secret police, and they're not even secret. They're well-known. They're kind of like the SS. They're, they're a well-known entity, but their name is eerie as hell when you think about that's the reason that we supported them. They're that's called the CIA. The Bureau for the Re- or for the Repression of Communist Activities. Mm, no. I, all they had to do was put on there, instead of calling it that, I'm sure that the other options were Joe McCarthy has a giant... <laughs> Or we love Joe McCarthy, please send more aid money. Like that's like someone being, I'm not a communist, but they are. Yeah, no, exactly. But well, not even that. It's more that they named it that to get US assistance. Like they don't call it the secret police. Oh no, no. You guys can't call it a war crime because we're just repressing communism. Isn't that what you wanted? Right. What about the domino effect, Mr. Kennedy? Like we're just trying to do what you told us to, but what these people are doing is going out, committing mass murder. Um, they're, I'm sure rape was involved. That's what happens in these situations. It's not noted, mainly because, much like MK Ultra, <clears throat> a lot of the records don't exist anymore for reasons we don't know oh, about. How'd that happen? Uh, yeah, I'm just uh, as uh, as Admiral Turner once said. Yeah, that would never happen today. Today, right? But it <laughs> that doesn't give me paperwork. Anyway, um, so the Bureau for the Repression of Communist Activities cracks down. The media starts getting censored. China. Um, Torture starts increasing. Public executions start. Ooh. So real quick, rule of thumb, there's a couple of signs that you're in a dictatorship. One of those is if people are being killed in the street by your government, probably a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. If he's got a weird mustache, probably a dictatorship. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's all just one big inferiority complex. Now, have you ever read a book called Miss Born? No. I recommend it. Plug, plug, plug. The very first book has um, a public execution and it is terrifying wrenching it is but the books are really good mr born plug 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 yes you better give us some money for that whoever wrote that book <laughs> he actually so, wrote, he lives in utah so this is where we start to get kind of grainy now obviously if you're a dictator you're not exactly unless you're hitler keeping track of exactly how many people you killed i think batista didn't want to be viewed as a hitler-esque figure and so it was not so much as of a we're not killing anybody what are you talking about because there was public executions right. as a We're just not going to talk about it as much because that's not the pretty side of this country. But the estimates are between 500 and 20,000 people that were murdered in the reign of Batista, a U.S.-backed dictator, publicly. And they were claiming that these people were communists. Or enemies of the state or whatever it might be, but communists mostly because that gave them authority to do whatever they wanted because the U.S. was so scared of communism. Right. Which is really spooky when you think about the fact that while we are definitely not at that level, and I don't want to sound like an alarmist because I'm not Fox News, um, we do similar things with Muslims, at least mentally, if not in reality. Uh, We have this whole concept of if you're a Muslim, you're bad, you're a terrorist. and Which is not the case. The Wahhabi sect makes up a minor, minor percent of their entire religion, which is a religion of peace that teaches that you should be good to your fellow men. Right. So another soapbox moment for you, but remember that we're very short steps from what this is at a mental level, if not a physical level. So, mm-hmm. you know, he kills off hundreds, if not 20, thousands of people. And in 1959, there's a dude named Fidel, Fidel Castro who's got a sick beard and looks vaguely like Post Malone and Liam Neeson had a baby. Look it up. It is terrifying. Yep, you're right. Dude, I, I looked at a picture of him today and I've, I've seen Castro before, but I was like, oh my gosh, it's Post Malone. And then I was like, it's Liam Neeson if he was chubby. <laughs> so it's post Maleson. <laughs> post Maleson. Posty, if you listen to this, my gosh, I love you. Can I please meet you? Anyway, um, there's there's kind of a schism here. And I, I 
want to be delicate at this point because everybody and their dog who has a Che Guevara t-shirt, I want you to know he's really cool. He did some great stuff, but really please read before you just put on a Che Guevara t-shirt, okay? I agree. He, I, like, this is the thing. He did a great job of liberating Cuba from Batista, who was a loony. But just to be clear, Che Guevara had some faults. So mm-hmm. just research before being blind on things. That's I why f- we're here. Yes, I feel like that should... I, I don't want to say a blanket statement, but yes, I feel like you should do that with everything you do, not necessarily just this one topic. Use your brain. You have it for a reason yes. most of the time, if, unless you're in Utah and you know how to use a turn signal. But um, Most of them don't. So 1959 rolls around. Fidel Castro, who was leading essentially the revolutionary party that was overthrowing Batista or trying to, um, had been regrouping in Mexico after a brief failed attempt on the armory of Cuba and a brief imprisonment, and then he left for Mexico and came back with a group of insurgents. Mm-hmm. And they actually managed to retake the city on New Year's uh, New Year's Day of 1959. I actually attribute a lot more of that to Che Guevara's war tactic leadership than I attribute to Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I read more about this guy, he seems like a really, really good orator, but he is the voice to the to the lion as opposed to the teeth. Does that yeah. make sense? Mm-hmm. And I and I don't want to give anybody too much credit here because, I mean, it was a revolu- revolution led by communists that really just kind of wanted to not be murked anymore. So at some level, I can totally see where they're coming from. That's their country. It's being run by a despot who's not even really, in their eyes, a Cuban. He's an American puppet. And they're just kind of wanting their country back. So they did. They took it back. Now, huh. Little Fergie. <laughs> because he's a he got on an airplane and he flew away with a large amount of money. And he died in 1974 of a heart attack. And I hope he screamed all the way to hell. I hope so, too. Because that is the most cowardly thing you could do. Mm-hmm. I'll say this. As somebody who does not ever plan on murdering a large amount of people for not having my ideology, living in a golden palace and taking a dump in a bowl that is more expensive than the rest of my home... I would fight to the death because that is the manful thing to do when you have said, my is this long, watch me fight. (laughs) Instead, he got on a plane and ran away. Right. And I think that it's telling of the person he was. He wasn't man enough to deal with his problems. By the way, he didn't run away to America. He didn't come back here. Yeah, where'd he go? He ended up in a couple of different um, South American countries. I believe he ends up living in Portugal, or not Portugal, um, Peru for a while. Did he end up in Brazil with the Nazis? (laughs) Oh, hello, my friend. <laughs> Were you also ousted from your home country for committing treasonous war crimes? We could be such good friends. <laughs> I'm just kidding. After Pansy Bautista has taken off and he's got all his gold and he's dead now and it's 1974, we're going to scoot right on back to 1959. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about it, um, you know, where Chihuahua is the teeth to the lion and Fidel Castro, the more well-known of the two, is kind of the voice. He, he stirs right. the people up. Now, there's th- this is the really weird part. This is kind of the impetus of a lot of weird conspiracy stuff that happens in the 60s. 1959, Castro has come to power. For some reason, the U.S. and Castro just don't really get along. Even though they were getting along with, what did we call him, Fergie? Yeah, Fergie, because Fergie was not a communist, and Castro is a devoted communist. Gotcha. Um, he wasn't trying to hide behind something, even though clearly Fergie was a communist. No, Fergie wasn't a communist. He was a fascist dictator. But okay. he was a, by all means, just a dictator. He wasn't a defined communist. Right. And so this is what I think is really interesting. Literally a dislike of a 
ideology causes one of the closest times that mankind will ever come to completely annihilating itself off the planet Earth. Like, think about that. A difference in opinion. Red versus blue, you know, pizza being good versus pizza being bad. You know, like, literally opinions literally drove us to the edge of complete destruction. You can cut like four of those literallys. Um, (laughs) I'm leaving them. (laughs) So it starts out with the U.S. really kind of instigating this snubbery, if you will. So the president is supposed to meet with Castro. Now, there was this weird era where regardless of the people approved of you, if you weren't elected democratically, the democratically elected president of the United States, we're all pawns, part of the system, the Electoral College picks everything, um, didn't want to acknowledge you. So the president snubbed Castro. Now, mind you, Castro is not exactly a stand-up guy from a lot of opinions and a lot of facts and figures, but he did lead a country out of a despotic rule and helped his countrymen. So... It's a validating thing, right? You just took over a country. Now the president of the United States, strongest military, strongest economy, all these things is validating that you are a leader. Mm. Even from a psychological standpoint in your country, that's a big deal. Right. The president straight up snubbed Castro. Now, granted, like he's not exactly a head of state in a traditional sense. He wasn't democratically elected. He took over a country, but still, he is now your closest neighbor. If your closest neighbor is a communist and you don't like communists, the best thing you can do is actually just try to open a dialogue there. Right. But instead, he sends his vice president, who Castro immediately disliked. And I don't understand why it was Richard Nixon. But, um, <laughs> I wonder why he didn't like it. No, I genuinely don't. You'd think those two would get along great. Yes, that's true. But um, the only difference was that Fidel Castro was intelligent. So essentially, he's th- that's like a big move. That's like a really big move to say, like, I will not even bother to send my vice president, the person, not my vice president, I will not even bother to come on my own because I don't think of you as a legitimate leader. That's right. what he's getting across. Yeah, absolutely. And that means something, especially when you're a dedicated communist. And so in my mind, it's a really short-sighted move to do that. It's not a strong move. Now, in the political spectrum and in the public spectrum, I think he made the right call for his generation. Yeah. I will not go kowtow to some communist leader who took over a country, <laughs> right? Right. But in reality, that's a really dumb move. Your closest neighbor, somebody who is within striking distance of you, should at least be on decent terms with you. Agreed. And this is where we start another downward spiral of short-sighted idiocy, which I think we could just put on the tombstone of the 60s. Um, Perfect. Not of all the people in the 60s, but maybe government in general and the CIA specifically during that time. So between 1959 and 1960, um, this is where the government starts to become concerned. Now, I know what I told you already is a bit premature because this is before the 1959-1960 time frame is before Richard Nixon has been sent to snub. This is why I think we had a bit of concern in Fidel Castro, because this is a a sign of things to come most of the time. Mm -hmm. McCarthyism designates that there's a domino effect to to communism. We've talked about it before. Right. One of the indicators is consolidation of power under one person. Um, Any red-blooded American doesn't like the concept of a consolidated power structure inside of one person, except for we have this thing called executive order Mm -hmm. uh, where presidents can pass laws and it's the only way anything gets done because our Congress doesn't do its job, but they get paid six figures to do it. So in 1960, the CIA and the Dominican Republic co-fund and trained a revolutionary party called the Escambre uh, Rebellion. But they were like really, really ineffective. There were a bunch of mountain gorillas that would take off and like burn small um, outposts of um, Castro's forces and like 
It was nothing that was really all that damaging. It might have been kind of like a diversionary thing where it was like, ha we're going to pop was, your bubbles. You know do what you I mean? think it was more diversion or do you think it was more retaliation? Well, there's nothing to retaliate for, though. We... <laughs> Castro hasn't done anything. Okay, so he hadn't done anything at this point. He was a communist. That was it. Well, right. we got a communist off the off of off of you know Florida, which is such a valuable state. So um, we'll lose all of our meth gators. <laughs> Florida man will be no more. I'm just imagining gators swimming in circles as fast as they can with powder around their Going, nose. I have so many ideas, <laughs> but um, so. As somebody who ingests meth on the daily, by the way, it is not like that. <laughs> I do. It's called Adderall. It's but either called way, med- yeah, it's medical. Um, it's medical meth. <laughs> medical methawana. Um, <laughs> that is an idea. Um, <laughs> so the CIA, Dominican Republic, co-fund this kind of garbage rebel or rebellion. I'm sure there was a lot of people in there that were had genuine intent to try to change things. But the reality of the situation is that he's, you know, Castro, for all of his flaws, yes, he's definitely doing some bad things, but at this point he hasn't really gone off the deep end yet. And so in my mind, I'm still kind of like, okay, yeah, he consolidated power. He's got some kind of bad things going for him. But Muammar Gaddafi, who was a terrible despot that killed thousands and thousands and thousands of his own people, didn't even get wiped out by the U.S. or anybody for that matter until like 10 years ago when he was in power from like the 80s. So the reality of the situation is that we were real spooked by communism for no real reason. And we just started hiring people to solve the problem. Plug, plug, plug. Go look at my We Trained the Viet Cong episode. So we're hiring these insurrectionists and the USSR and Cuba start kind of realizing something. Hey, comrade, you are communist. We are Marxist-Leninist communist. Maybe we, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I see the way you look at me. <laughs> you look at me the way that my wife looked at me once before our forced marriage. Um, <laughs> sorry, Russia. Um, <laughs> um, so, is he swearing in Russian? No, I just said I'm very oh, sorry. I look at Mike like he knows. <laughs> Mike, tell me what he said. I, oui. I actually just said, please, I'm sorry. So it would actually be <laughs> But anyway, um, so... Russia and the, well, the USSR at that point, the Soviet Union, um, and Cuba, and there's a difference, start sharing some kind of dialogue. And eventually there's there's an ambassador sent to them and they make a deal with the USSR. Now, keep in mind, that's big during right. this era because there was one very real threat during the Cold War. And it was made by the fact that ideologies made such a huge role in, in society at that point, but it was nuclear annihilation. Yeah. And that was because of something called MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. The concern was this. So America had nuclear weapons in Turkey and other places within striking distance of the USSR at that point. Because you got to remember, nuclear weapons at that point were in very quick development, but they aren't what they are today. They're they're not missiles that you can fire across an ocean. So most of them were still (laughs) bomb drops that would come from an airplane. So the closer you were to an enemy target, the more effective you had of a nuclear gun pointed at the other guy. Because remember, the best thing you can do as a leader of a country is point a big gun at another guy with a big gun and say, you won't do it. Yeah. Wait. No, that is not what you should do. (laughs) Ever. But But that's what they're doing. But that's basically the 60s. So yeah. They now are, you know, so the concern is, well, I mean, Russia is a nuclear armed power. Russia is a communist power. Now we've got a communist power that likes Russia that's off the coast. And so they made a deal. Um, The the Russian, well, the Soviets and the Cubans 
they started exchanging goods. Um, Cuba is a pretty fertile place. It has a lot of natural agriculture, infrastructure, things like that that were very helpful for exportation of goods. Mm -hmm. And that was why a bunch of American fat cats had their companies built there. Right. One of the things that was supposed to happen was that in Cuba, Soviet oil would be enriched. It would be processed. Problem was there was these two companies, you might have heard of one of them, that owned those oil refineries. And one of them was Shell. Really? And Shell was like, Hey, buddy, we got a problem here. <laughs> I don't know why he's Colonel Sanders, but he is. <laughs> I was going to say, that's very uh, Southern there. You see, them communists are going to want some of that oil. And that oil, that's what makes me rich. Also, they're communists. So they kill babies and rape aliens. <laughs> or at least that's what the president says. <laughs> so Illegal aliens or alien aliens? Oh, you tell me, I don't need to know the difference. <laughs> An alien is an alien, and he ain't no American. I've decided that I am now Colonel Sanders. <laughs> My imitation of the guy who runs Shell as being a deep southerner is completely based upon pulling it out of my ass. So, right. um, anyway, just from a completely Americanized perspective, can you imagine what would happen to Shell if they said, yeah, we're processing Soviet oil? Right. Yeah, that would work. Like. Right. Oh my gosh, you guys, that was, and, and, and Shell is a lifeblood. Like, okay, I don't know where our listeners are and if we'll have any after this episode, but <laughs> rea in reality, I passed two Shell stations on the way here. Those are, they're in America. They're an American company. Right. And now they're being asked by a communist country to produce oil for the enemy we're in a cold war with. And yeah. so their natural reaction was, uh, no. And so Castro did what? dictators do. Mm -hmm. And he said, okay, cool. So you don't get your oil rigs anymore. Those are ours now. Your processing facilities are ours now. This is part of the state. You're in our country anyway, but bye. Yep. And he nationalized the oil production, which is by the way, what a lot of Middle Eastern countries do. And it's terrible. But anyway, yeah. um, so they, they privatize, not privatize these, they nationalize these oil refineries and Shell and Esso, the other country or the other company, I don't know where their subsidiaries are, but I think they're still around. Um, these American companies are just booted out of, out of Cuba and America's like, what do we do? What do we do? They, what do we do? <laughs> like, and this is before the Bush administration. So like, if this had happened during the Bush administration, they'd be like, my oil, my oil. <laughs> like, but, but at this point we were just getting out of world war two. Like, I think we were probably doing a little bit better on the oil front. Right. There was a lot less vehicular traffic than there is today. Right. We probably would have done okay, but it was still a big deal. Yeah. I don't think we were processing enough of it to be a huge issue from a American perspective. I think that there was a big, like not a big boom, but there, it was noticeable. Right. But the bigger concern was the loss of profit that was happening there. And the fact that Castro had just taken American property, like granted it was in Cuba, but he had taken American property. Right. And so America wandering around with its hair on fire inside of the white house is going, okay, what do we do? So naturally, you know what we did? We stopped, we'd stopped buying their sugar. Because that'll teach them. Yeah. You know, they stopped selling the literally most profitable pro their item on the planet Earth. Yeah, well, we're not going to buy your sugar. <laughs> Good job, guys! Right. <laughs> oh. oh, my goodness. Still to this day, you can't have sugar imported from Cuba, can you? I, I don't know, but now I want to. Like, for no reason other than to say, I imported black market sugar <laughs> from Cuba. <laughs> but, like, so, they, dude. I don't have all the numbers, and I guarantee you there were some very, very intelligent people in Washington. All three of them probably got together and said, you know what, we should make a plan. President wasn't there. So essentially, they um, 
came up with this plan. I'm sure it was the hardest we could hit them economically. And there's a portion of Cuban history that we could go into, but this not what, that's not what this episode's about. Right. Um, we may do an episode. Please tell us if you'd like to hear about it, about when American and Russian warships were within shooting range of each other, missiles armed, ready to fire, and the Cold War almost started right off the shores of Cuba. Sounds um, interesting to me. <laughs> what ends up happening from there is quite interesting. There's a lot less that happened in the war than we really think about, and it happened a lot quicker than we realized. So, okay. March 1960, there's an explosion of a boat in Havana Harbor. This boat is a French vessel, not a warship, but it's a French vessel carrying Belgian weapons purchased by the Cubans. Oh my gosh. My brother's sister's aunt's dog. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but long story short, foreign vessel carrying weapons to Cuba right. purchased legally by Cuba because Cuba is a Cuba has a government. They can right. purchase firearms from Belgium and it gets sunk in Havana Harbor. Cuba immediately blames the U.S. And the U.S. is like, what? Us? No. <laughs> Why would we be concerned about you guys having guns? We love guns. We're Americans. Guns, guns, guns. And they're they like, were concerned. but guys, do you think we blew it up? Right. Do you think they blew it up? Who wants to blow our up? <laughs> like, but has it been released? Who did it? Nope. Still, still to, this, to day. this day, I'm actually putting in a freedom of information request for it. <laughs> so, March 1960, they immediately blame us. And in that same year, this is where it really kind of starts to spiral. Our friend Castro meets with a certain guy named Soviet Premier Khrushchev. Oh, no. Khrushchev is the head of the Russians. Mm -hmm. he's, he's in charge of the Soviet Union. And Khrushchev is real tight with Fidel Castro. And that's the thing. I genuinely think that they thought of each other as comrades in a fight against an overbearing U.S. government because the government had blown up a freighter in their harbor unprovoked as an act of that's an act of war if right. they can prove it. Right. And Russia feels the same way. They're like, we're just trying to be communists over here. And you guys are literally buying soldiers, sending people to Vietnam, training Afghanis. To prevent that. Now, granted, the Soviet Union, by the way, is not without fault. You can't disappear people and send people to gulags and be a good country. But right. I'm, all I'm saying is, at this point, at least, Castro is just trying to be a communist. <laughs> so they show up and they're like, hey, make you a deal. You want some nukes? Do you realize Seriously? how spooky that is, by the way? That is scary. Now, this was telling. Castro was actually reluctant initially to take on really? nuclear weapons. And that tells me something about him. It tells me he's not just this madman that's looking for power and trying yeah. to get back at the U.S. It tells me he considered it. He was like, hang on a minute. What does that do to us on the international stage? That's that's not great. That doesn't that's not a good look. Yeah. Um, but in the end, I 100 percent believe that Khrushchev maybe kind of strong armed him into it. But they end up putting nukes in <laughs> Cuba. They're right. now in striking distance of the United States at short notice. With low-flying bombers, they could hit U.S. targets in Miami. With a patrol force, they could land troops in Miami. This is bad. This Absolutely. is really strategically bad. Now, this is how the Russians have been feeling for a long time because we've got missiles in Turkey. We've got um, aircraft in Turkey. We've got we're, we're in striking distance. Right. Um, and so now it's really it's it's gone from us standing across the room from each other with guns pointed at each other's heads to standing directly in front of each other, guns pointed at each oh. other's heads. And you're playing with the lives of two countries. Yeah. Now, Castro owning what he owns of this did take the weapons on and did aid and abet the Russians in their goals and their aims here. But they were also receiving aid from the Russians. They were receiving economic stability from the Russians. And they had a comrade in this fight for communism. 
And granted, they're just as guilty of ideology as we are in this equation, right. but still, it, it doesn't make it okay. And right. this, my friends, is when Operation Northwoods was dreamt up. Okay. The year is 1962. Khrushchev has armed Cuba. There are nuclear weapons in Cuba. And Dulles takes a stiff shot of LSD at a brothel somewhere in San, or in San Francisco, whips his head up off the bar and says, I have an idea! <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> Tell me you can't picture it after I having heard the MK Ultra episode. Yes, I sure can. And everyone at the CIA puts the pants back on, takes them off their heads, takes the lampshades, puts them back up, and says, all right, let's do this shit. <laughs> so Northwoods was dreamt up by a couple of people that I think had the right idea and way too much money and time on their hands. Um, Northwoods initially started as something called Operation Mongoose, which is just really funny to me. I don't know why, but I find it a really <laughs> funny name. It's like, of all the names you could have picked, you know, we go from Operation Midnight Climax to, <laughs> I don't know why they call it like Mongoose or something. Seriously. <laughs> like, did Ned Flanders name this? He sure did. But anyway, um, so there are, and I quote, now this has not been corroborated, but according to... Um, the bodyguard of Fidel Castro, the initial kind of the impetus for Operation Northwoods was Operation Mongoose. Operation Northwoods stemmed from Operation Mongoose. Operation Mongoose is literally explicitly marked as kill Castro. Serious? Merc him. Replace him with some figurehead and call it good. <laughs> we did that in Vietnam. It went real well. Right. But anyway, um, they were like, okay, how can we bump off Castro? And I'm not kidding you guys. Some of these are so freaking Dr. Seuss. It's hilarious. I wrote these down. Oh, no. These are real. People with degrees in charge of protecting you and me from terrorists oh, came up with no. these ideas and said, yeah, that could work. It's kind of like the plot for Pacific Rim or the fifth Shrek. <laughs> like, dude, okay, these are real. You ready? Fidel Castro was well known to like to go for morning swims okay. in the ocean. And they were like dives, like he would like a free dive out on this beautiful, pristine beach. Only he was allowed on because he was a dictator. And right. Yikes. Um, some guy was like, what if? Okay, I just have to play this one out. I'm sorry. All right, guys, I got it. A shell. <laughs> but we paint it real pretty colors. Then we plant the shell. But it's not a shell, you see. We put a bomb in the shell. And when he picks up the shell, it explodes. It blows up and kills him, right? Because uh, there aren't a million and a half freaking shells down there. And he's gonna pick up that one because it's painted pretty. You, you guys, our government spent money developing that idea. They really spent money on that idea. Well, they paid the guy who came up with it. I guess that's true. I thought you were gonna make, let's put lasers on a shark. No, but <laughs> you're not far off. If they had the option, it would have been brought up. There's more. Oh, um, no. Exploding cigars. <laughs> Which is like the most Looney Tunes thing I Seriously. Think of. You know, like where it like blows up and their face is all black. Like, and, and it's all his, like, or his like bill spins around <laughs> on his head. Dude. And the thing is like a peeled banana just sticking out of his mouth. The next few, I like really do genuinely feel like they ran out of ideas and it was like, son, draw me a picture of what it looks like to kill somebody. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so my kid drew a picture of a blowing up what looks like a cigar. Yeah, that could work. Um, exploding cigars. Exploding softballs. So they're going to throw a softball to him and then it was going to blow up. He hits it. I feel like <laughs> I feel like the CIA had a surplus of C4 and they were like, okay, 
We got some parameters for you. It's got to involve an explosion. I was going to say, everything <laughs> they're saying it is... It sounds like a Mad Libs. You, you, say, <laughs> you just pick a noun, add exploding to the front of it, and you're good. That's literally what they did. Like, to oh a T. Oh, my god! Now, the shells thing, by the way, I feel like at some point someone said, Perkins, enough with the shells! But, like, they had another idea with shells. There was two shell ideas. So he goes to the beach, right? Right. Then he lays down on the beach, right? Right. What's on beaches? Shells. shells. So we fill all the shells on the beaches with explosives, and then we blow them up. Huh? Oh huh? Huh? My huh? God. Perkins, enough with the shells! <laughs> Seriously. So, more explody shells. That one was tested. <laughs> they said the explosives were not detonated, like, not powerful enough to do it. What I'm literally picturing are those, like, tiny kitschy shells. Me like, too. a bunch of them, like, <laughs> With a little firecracker underneath it going, and it just shoots up in the air. You know that when that happened, assuming that the 638 assassination attempts is correct, he was like, <laughs> one assassination attempt, two assassination attempts. Count all the shells, I need to know. Like, <laughs> How many of them? So, it doesn't end there. Poison cigars. Oh my gosh. And they were using a, a compound where all you would have to do is like touch it to your lips and it would murk you. It's what they use in killer pens. It's where they would poke you and... Which, by the way, they actually had someone on the inside at one point of Castro's government who was going to do that, but he was so scared he was going to poke himself with a pen he threw it away. Like, genuine, that He happened. just throws it in the trash? Yeah, yeah, you know, because that's super helpful. There's some garbage man out there with a pen sticking out of his arm. <laughs> what did I do? Why am I dead? Um... There was also a plan that almost freaking worked. And by the way, I don't know if this story is true because, you you know, it's told in retrospect. But this is some ballsy stuff, my friends. No pun intended. Like, you'll understand. Okay. They found an ex-lover of Castro's. Convinced her to kill him using cyanide during sex. Um, and she was going to go through with it. So she shows up at his apartment. She put moves on him. And then she bails on the plan and tells him everything. Like. Because apparently, like, like, you remember, guys, he was, like, relatively beloved by some, despised right. by others, obviously, because he was a despot and he killed people. But he ends up, and I, once again, don't know if this is true, but if it is, holy shit. Like, this makes Putin look like a teddy bear. He gets his forty-five out, puts it in her hand, and he says, you won't kill me, nobody will. And then they had sex. <laughs> Dude. Oh. When I, I like I said, totally could be a machismo story, but oh my gosh, that is the coolest story I've ever Seriously. heard. If that is true, like you can't kill me, no one can. Here, go ahead, try. How did he end up dying? Oh, we'll get to that. Okay. But um, so that's just some of my favorites. But then we come around once again to the mafia. We're back. I told you we'd be back. <laughs> I told you. So the year is now 1968-ish, somewhere in there, and America's like, okay, we can't use shells. So. <laughs> Shells is out. So, Took us eight years to figure it out. So shells, uh, shells. I got the baseball <laughs> didn't work. Shells didn't work. We put explosives in the shells, and the shells didn't work. What do we do? The mafia. So after they tried to blow him up with a phone, they put an explosive in a telephone that was supposed to blow his head up. It didn't work. I'm guaranteeing you they had a surplus of C4 or something. I was gonna say, why is everything needed to be blown up? Maybe Dulles had a thing about it. You know, if it doesn't involve explosives, I'm really not interested. We could have a SEAL team get in there, take a quick shot and get out. Explosives. But anyway, so they were like, I got it. Let's work with organized crime. <laughs> because we're in charge of stopping organized crime. Right. But organized crime's okay if it's killing communists. So they went to Las Vegas <clears throat> and they said, all right, 
we need to find people that are involved in organized crime. You know, the people that the FBI have on their top 10 most wanted list. So they found them. Of course, because they're always hiding in Vegas. This sounds oddly like the Suicide Squad. It really does. But the funny part about this to me is the fact that the CIA, who is a federal entity, found the people that are on the FBI's most wanted list, then worked with them, but didn't turn them into the FBI. Oh my gosh. Sometimes I just really feel like Dulles was like, give me another line of coke. And all of this is because they were focused on him as a communist. Yep, 100%. So... They talked to some of the more infamous players in the game. I won't name names because, frankly, most of them are just people that you wouldn't know. But if we do our miniseries on Vegas, we'll talk all about them. One of them was Bugsy Siegel. Um, and very brief history on him. Uh, he started the Flamingo Hotel in Las Vegas, which is one of the first like resort casinos. He actually imported flamingos, like real live flamingos, tried to have them exist in the desert heat. They died almost immediately. because yeah, they don't would never survive in the desert. His launch of the hotel went tragically wrong and he was murdered in Hollywood, through a window with a military rifle, Bugsy Siegel is a fascinating person who worked for a person named Meyer Lansky, who was a Jew who worked with the Murder, Inc. crew out of New York. I can't wait to tell you more about it. Plug, plug, plug. Anyway, <laughs> um, so they go find Bugsy Siegel, a couple other people who ended up actually going to trial for mafia ties. It's actually not called the mafia. It's called the Cosa Nostra. Get the freaking stuff right, you plebeians. But anyway, <laughs> um, so they get these guys. And they actually offered them a very large sum of money. I can't remember if it was $20,000 or $200,000 for the murder of Fidel Castro. And you remember, the mafia at one point had a foothold there because under Batista, they were tight, right? Batista was taking money from them. But I'm fairly confident when Batista left, they were like, they should probably not, uh, not stick around here. This is going to not be a so friendly place to people who are capitalists like ourselves. <laughs> they buried my mother in that skunk butt rug. But either way, um, <laughs> so... I'm fairly confident I wasn't able to find anything, but I'm fairly confident they took off, but they would know their way around Havana, right? They had a pretty solid understanding of it. So they said, okay, we'll give you a bunch of money. Go kill Castro. And do you know what they said back? Nah, we'll do it for free. Oh, interesting. When the mafia says that about you, you change your name and move to a different country and have a sex change. Yes, yeah, seriously. So, um, they offered to do it, but unfortunately weren't able to. They tried several different tactics. The mafia is much better at killing people than the CIA was at that point because they weren't like shells. Um, so, well, all right, boys, what plans do we have here? Hey, Tony, I was thinking about these shells. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was in the other meeting and they thought the same thing up. <laughs> What is it with you people in shells? Did somebody say shells? That's what I heard. I second that. Meanwhile, Dulles just slams through a wall like the Kool-Aid man. Shells! But anyway, this is going to be a great episode. So so they, they tried to hire the mafia and it didn't work. It, so keep in mind, all of these assassination attempts are for what, Kyle? Communism. Ideology! Yeah. Communism! We're trying to kill this guy because communism. Which leads us once again into Operation Northwoods. So Northwoods is considered an offshoot of Mongoose, but it's really a separate thing entirely. Now, our listeners know Zane likes to find sources from the horse's <laughs> mouth. Um, <laughs> so I went into the files. I went and found the declassified report of Operation Northwoods. I read the whole thing. You're welcome. Yes, thank you. I would never in a million years even choose to read that. But they're so cool. They say classified at the top and you feel like you're in a movie. He even showed it to me and I think I looked at two words and I was like, nope. No, he, <laughs> he, he looked at two words and he said, all right, Snowden, I want to be able to fly someday. <laughs> oh, I can't wait to talk about Edward Snowden. God bless you, Snowden. You're an American hero. Um, so I just want to read to you guys a couple lines. 
from Operation Northwoods. And it really is just a couple lines this time, I promise. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry about MKUltra. And at the same time, not sorry at all. No, it was very good. So I just pulled um, four pages from Northwoods and highlighted a few things. But this is, by the way, guys, a military transcript, not a military transcript, a CIA transcript typed out with the express purpose of explaining Northwoods to the people of the government. This was planned by the people who are supposed to keep you safe at night in your Mm. bed. This was planned by the people that are supposed to protect this country. We'll go from the beginning. Um, I don't want to read the whole appendix introduction, um, but I I want to start with just, they have bullet points that literally mark out some of their brilliant ideas. Keebler elf level stuff here, guys. Like, what do they think up next? Um, So Dulles popped up from his pile of cocaine and said, all right, I got an idea. And it went like this. Number one, start rumors. And I love that they put this in parentheses. Many. (laughs) Start rumors. Many. Many. (laughs) Uh, Use clandestine radio. So they were going to basically create a false radio station and like unintentionally tune American citizens into it to start rumors of a land friendly Cubans in uniform over the fence to stage an attack on a base. Oh, no. Um, capture Cuban in parentheses friendly. I love how they make Cuban like <laughs> like like it's an alien species. Friendly. Capture one of the Cuban. <laughs> capture Cuban friendly saboteurs inside the base. So the idea would be that they would stage an attack on American bases and then capture one of them, capturing a a friendly saboteur with a false identity and saying this Cuban was captured trying to take an American base. Um, start riots near the main base with friendly Cubans. I love how they keep having to say like like note that it's a Cuban. <laughs> Continuing, blow up ammunition inside of base, comma, start fires. Thank you, science. Burn aircraft on base, parentheses, sabotage. (laughs) Who was this written for? Right? (laughs) Um, Lob mortar shells from outside of base into base. Some damage to installations. I love how that one... Some damage, but not like crazy amounts of damage. But it doesn't note that there wouldn't be people on the base. Um, <clears throat> capture assault teams approaching from the sea or vicinity of Guantanamo City. So essentially fake assault teams in Cuban uniforms. Um, capture militia groups which storm the base. So this is all kind of one idea. This is where stuff starts to get truly spooky. This is where you realize the lengths our government was willing to go to to justify an invasion of Cuba to kill a guy because he was a communist. Mm-hmm. Now granted, part of it was that yes, there was a nuclear armed country right across the bay from us that was taking orders from Russia. But still, you're going to ignite a larger war in doing this. There, There is diplomacy to be had, and there was later diplomacy to the credit of the government. But at this point, this was not a good call. Right. So, sabotage a ship in the harbor, large fires. Real quick, didn't we already do that? Yeah. Didn't, wasn't that a thing? Let's see, what year was that again? <clears throat> um, you know, that French ship that just sunk itself right off the side of the, uh, you know, Cuban harbor in 1960. <laughs> this was released in 1962. <clears throat> so moving on, uh, sink ship near harbor entrance, conduct funerals for, mark, for mock victims. So they were going to sink a ship, an American ship, right outside of Miami Harbor, then hold mock funerals because that is not terrible. Um, we're going to jump past this next one, um, because basically what it says right here is like United States would respond by executor, um, executing offensive operations. It's, it's justifying what they're doing. Right. We could, and then I love how this is now becoming literally brainstorming session. This is verbatim. <laughs> we could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. It literally says that. Oh my I'm not gosh. even making that up. <laughs> and then 
we could blow up a drone, unmanned, vessel anywhere in Cuban waters and then pretend that it was the Cubans. We could develop a communist Cuban terror campaign in the Miami area, in other Florida cities, and even in Washington. This is advocating. I, I, I'm going to pause here. This is the advocation of domestic terrorism being performed by your government on American citizens in the name of preventing war. So we're going to frame somebody for doing something they didn't do. And we're going to use American soldiers or at least American trained people to murder Americans in the name of saving America. That makes sense. Moving on. The terror campaign could be pointed at Cuban refugees seeking safe haven in the United States. Nice. We could sink a boatload of Cubans en route from Florida. Now, this is really, really disturbing. Parentheses, real or simulated. Oh, my God. Because remember, guys, if you're not an American, you're not a person. So real or simulated. The other ones are all noted as drone. Real or simulated. Cool. We could foster attempts um, on the lives of Cuban refugees living in the United States, even to the extent of wounding in in instances to be widely publicized. So they're saying that Cubans in the U.S. would be targeted um, as part of a campaign to show that Cubans from outside the United States have infiltrated for the specific purpose of killing Cubans. Yikes. If this doesn't make you not trust the government, I don't know what else will. Just pay taxes once in a while. (laughs) Um, Just once in a while. Exploding a few plastic bombs in carefully chosen spots, the arrest of Cuban agents, and the release of prepared documents substantiating Cuban involvement. It would also be helpful in projecting the idea of an irresponsible government. You know what? I think that last part, they're right. It's helpful in instituting the idea of an irresponsible government, you (laughs) Yours. All right. Number six. Use of... Okay, real quick. MiG aircraft are a Russian-designed airplane. They were actually superior to the American fighter jets at the time of creation. Um, They're not anymore, but they're widely viewed as the enemy jet. If you've ever seen the awful film Top Gun... You, they're they're flying against MiGs. That's that's okay. what a MiG fighter is. You can actually see them at most Air Force bases nowadays. There's one in San Diego when I was down there. They're cool looking planes, right? Um, but they're they're Russian fighter jets. Um, the use of a MiG type aircraft by U.S. pilots could provide additional provocation, harassment of civil air, attacks on surface shipping, and destruction of U.S. military drone aircraft by MiG type airplanes could be useful as complementary actions. Now I want to focus on one line of that. Harassment of civil aircraft. That means domestic airlines. That means flights across the U.S. being harassed by fighter jets. Now, they don't say down a civilian aircraft yet. Moving on. An F-86, properly painted, an F-86 was an American fighter, could convince passenger passenger planes that they saw a Cuban MiG fighter. So Russia, by the way, was selling MiGs to Cuba. Which, by the way, is their prerogative. It's right. two separate countries, but right. it's not helpful because we're in a Cold War, and that's terrifying. Anyway, especially if the pilot transporting the, the passengers could announce that there were a MiG in proximity. So they're considering now telling pilots to tell American citizens, that was a MiG that just flew by, which would just instill terror, terror. in you. Yeah. Because at this point, everybody's convinced that Russians are baby-eating psychopaths, right? Like, oh, crap, there's a MiG fighter near us. We're all going to die. That would increase American anti-Cuban sentiment, especially if they mention it's a Cuban. Uh, You know what I mean? So like, and that's kind of the idea here. This is the last page. You guys, this is just disgusting to me. This is Americans that wrote this up. Hijacking attempts against civil aircraft and surface craft should appear to continue as harassing measures condoned by the Cuban government. 
So hijacking of American airplanes, hijacking of American boats by Cuban, quote unquote, people with falsified documents. I feel like we're leading to something here. It's possible to create an incident which will demonstrate convincingly that a Cuban aircraft has attacked and shot down a chartered civil airliner en route from the United States to Cuba. So that would mean the equivalent of shooting down like a Delta flight. Right. So they considered this for a minute and then they were like, okay, even we're not that kooky. And they said at a designated time, it, well, actually, I want to go back just a bit. They say the passengers could be a group of college students off on a holiday or any grouping of persons with a common interest to support chartering a non-scheduled flight. At a designated time, a duplicate flight would be substituted for the actual civil aircraft and would be loaded with selected passengers, all boarded under carefully prepared aliases. The registered actual passengers and aircraft would be converted into a drone. So... I think they genuinely thought about shooting down an aircraft and they said, yeah, if that goes south, we're all toast. So they were like, okay, so we'll just stage it. We'll put a plane, we'll make people look like they got on a plane. We'll basically reroute that plane and then we'll shoot that plane down, the one that looks like a civil airliner, and show a bunch of debris oh gosh, that it's... looks like a civil airliner. Remember, this is just to try to get it, Castro. Meanwhile, they're still trying to kill him with all these Dr. Seuss moron moves, right? So... Then it continues. There's so many modern things that like would fall into the these ideas. Yep. Like what about those planes that went missing in China a couple of years ago? Yeah. Not just one. The, Mal like the Malaysia Airlines flight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then here we go. So when over Cuba, the drone plane will be transmitting the international distress frequency of Mayday, a message that it is under attack by a MiG Cuban aircraft. The transmission that will will then be interrupted by the destruction of the aircraft, which will be triggered by radio signal. So. I know that this sounds a bit trivial and maybe kind of stupid, but like, really think about it. We are now trying to show another country doing something terrible, killing innocent civilians, even if it is just something where it's a drone, to get at one person because of an ideology. Now, there are some of you on here who may remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. And if you're listening to this and thinking, what a bunch of snowflakes, I just want you to think about something. While I completely understand the fear, the justified fear of nuclear annihilation that happened every single day. My mom talks about doing ducking cover drills under her desk. These are real fears. This caused real problems. Yeah. Cuban Missile Crisis was a very real thing. But I want you to realize something. I'm not telling you you are wrong to feel that way. I am telling you that your government was not the solution. It was the problem. Yes. And it continues to be, but we won't get into that. The problem was two tribes fighting over ideology. The problem was two people trying to make the other one look bad. The problem was that and the fact that the consequences meant the entire destruction of the planet. The inhabitability of planet Earth. Over so, ideology. So I'm not getting after you for having a justified fear of Russian annihilation. I'm getting after our government for being so inappropriate with the power it had. Agreed. There is one other piece that I wanted to talk about, and this is more of a, of a little bit of a bright note. During this time, space exploration was a big thing. Um, every kid wanted to be an astronaut. Every mm -hmm. kid wanted to, to see space. And I think that that gave hope both to Americans and Russians. And I feel like it was a place where we genuinely did come to terms with one another. When the Russians put up the Skylab and the Russian, not Skylab, but when they put up their space station, the first time that they shook hands in space was with an American. Yeah. There was combined happiness there. When the USSR fell, there were still cosmonauts on the space in their space station and they were assisted by Americans and vice versa to keep that station running. One thing that America did that wasn't so pretty 
in this front was there was a man by the name of John Glenn. He's a bit of a hero in my family. He uh, he's one of the astronauts that was going to go up during the Mercury program in 1962. The name they picked for this is so perfect. Operation Dirty Trick. Right up there with Midnight Climax. <laughs> I was going to say, it's just as good as Midnight Climax. In the event that the 1962 Mercury space mission goes awry and Mr. John Glenn is, or perishes in the incident, the U.S. should be prepared with submarine or other maritime forces to release debris showing Cuban interference with the missile or the satellite projection. They were ready to sacrifice an American astronaut for Cuba. So it's a thing. It's a bit different. I'm not saying they sent John Glenn up with the express intent of blowing him out of the sky. But it's so ridiculous to me that in this time of innovation, in this reality of we are traveling into another plane of literal existence, a place where people have never been outside of our planet, we were still thinking about how we can invade Cuba. Do you guys realize that? Oh my in this gosh. In this time of amazing leaps forward in science and technology, we were still like, how can we beat the communists? And I get that part of the space race was beating the communists right. from a psychological level, but that we were willing to use our failure, the death of an American citizen, to justify that, I can't jive with that. No. And so I know that we've talked about, once again, a lot of heavy subject matter here. And I know that I've essentially advocated to never trust your government. <laughs> um, I want to make a redaction on that in this episode. I don't think you should ever trust anything without first knowing what it is. Agreed. And I think that our government, the U.S. government, has earned the trust it has with me and potentially with you. But I don't want you to listen to me and think of me as a counterculturist or a revolutionary or somebody advocating anything other than using your brain. Mm -hmm. I don't trust our government. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't either. Right. All I wanted to share in this story is the reality that our government was out of control for a very long time. And unfortunately, if we don't start using our eyes to look and our ears to hear, they're going to get worse. Mm -hmm. um, regardless of your political views, regardless of what side of the aisle you sit on, everybody in our federal government currently, some are trying, some are not, but there is no real sense of stability there. And the only thing that we can do is continue to stay the course and try to be good people to each other. Pay attention to the issues and do what we can where we can. You have the ability to make change at a local level. You might not be able to actually vote for your president regardless of what it says. But please remember the lessons that you've heard here and try to help us not make these mistakes again. Agreed. To answer your question, Kyle. Fidel Castro actually was the leader of Cuba from 1959 for his regular term until 2011. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you being a part of this conversation. Absolutely. And remember to be careful which shells you pick up on the beach. And as the CIA has learned, if at first you don't succeed, try 637 times more. <laughs> <laughs> to keep up to date on what's happening on the podcast, follow us on Instagram at guysparanormal. Also, if you have any stories you want to share with us, email us at pnormalguys at gmail.com.